Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the host. Welcome back to the show. Thrilled to have my guest who's been on the show many times, always the top-rated episodes whenever he's on. It's like having a celebrity on, and I just get to bask in the glow. I want to welcome <laughs> back Jamie Stegmeyer. Jamie, thanks for joining me back on the show. Richard, thank you so much for having me. It's good to talk to you again. It's been a while. Um, you know, For a while, long time there, we were doing the uh, co-hosting, and you have gotten busy, I've gotten busy, and we just haven't done it enough. Uh, we've got to do that more often, don't we? We do, yeah. I, I love talking about Kickstarter, and, and as you've seen, it continues to evolve. The different strategies people use, and even Kickstarter itself continues to evolve. It does. Are there any things, as we get into this, um, oh, you know what, first of all, let's introduce some of our guests might not know who you are. Um, you were on just a, a few episodes ago, but tell us a little bit about um, what's going on with Jimmy Stigmeyer and Stonemeyer Games. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, as you just mentioned, I, I run a game company called Stonemeyer Games. We publish games, uh, one called Viticulture, Tuscany, Euphoria, and a line of uh, special resource tokens to be used in any games called treasure chest tokens. Oh, and we have a game called Between Two Cities that was recently on Kickstarter too. And I also write a lot. I, you know, I I've been on Kickstarter with all of these products, and I I make a lot of mistakes. I have a lot of insights, and so I share them on my Kickstarter Lessons blog at kickstarterlessons.com. Kickstarterlessons.com and. Not to, but you're about to be an international best-selling author as well, right? <laughs> I'm about to have a book published. <laughs> I hope that th those words come true. But yeah, I have a, a book about Kickstarter. Um, What's it called? It's called A Crowdfunder Strategy Guide, How to Build a Better, uh, what is the subtitle? How to Build a Better Company by Building Community. And that'll come out in September from a company called Barrett Kohler. And can now you mentioned that uh, it went up on pre-orders. The paperback went up on pre-orders recently. Is it still up there? It is. It's on. It's on Amazon and on the publisher's website. And uh, to my to my surprise and, and happiness, the it was the number one best-selling crowdfunding book for a couple days. And off and on, whenever I mention it, it goes back up to number one, um, even though it won't come out till September. So that's encouraging to me that this will. This book will reach people and hopefully beyond my current audience to help people who aren't already exposed to my blog. Like I said, international bestseller. What can, <laughs> right? Best-selling author. Wow, you're just um, uh, movie star is probably next on the line. You got some film deals lined up. I know that you're just you're just like going crazy. <laughs> I'm being we'll facetious see. on that one a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you just did finish a Kickstarter campaign. It went very well, and it it was. It, I have to admit, it looked like it was the same one you had done before. What was different about this last one? Yeah, so I had I ran a treasure chest campaign for my, my first treasure chest box of six realistic resource tokens. That was back in July of 2014, um, and it did well. It had a, over 3,000 backers, raised about $187,000, I think. And that one, that was really encouraging because I really didn't know if people wanted these tokens. If they, if they would want to pay a premium price for these nice tokens. And they did. So I worked with those backers over the next six, seven months to create uh, new treasure chests. So that was really neat to me um, to, to really, I mean, these backers were the ones that built these chests with me. And I put the new chest on Kickstarter, three different chests, um, a couple weeks ago. 
and it successfully funded uh, just over $200,000 and over 2,000 backers. So uh, what was different? So you put these three chests on, but what was really different about what you had done before and what you did this time? I mean, at a first glance, it looks like you just changed the box. Right, right. Well, all the tokens are new. Uh, so the, the, the original chest had six different tokens, and all of the tokens in these new chests are new. Uh, new token types. Um, so, let's just, uh, so, yeah. so our listeners, most of sure. our listeners are gamers. Some of them aren't. But we're, what we're talking about these tokens is we're talking about accessories. So uh, yes. just like if you needed to have a bunch of chits, um, you have now you can use three-dimensional like, like stones or brick or what else did you have in there? Yeah, so the, I mean, the general idea is in a lot of games you have the, you have either cardboard chips or you have little cubes that represent something, but you have to remember what the thing represents because the cube doesn't look like the actual item. Um, so I created these tokens. So the, there's a, a food crate box, for example, and it has uh, steak tokens that look like little steak. It has coffee tokens that look like coffee beans. It has little crates. Uh, create tokens that can kind of represent any token. So that could almost be like for the game Puerto Rico or something like that. Exactly. Puerto Rico has coffee. Uh, yeah, there's grain, wheat, bread, and corn in that chest. Yeah, so they're just a, they're enhancements. Sometimes gamers, I find, if they have a favorite game in particular, they want to really enhance that game since they play it a lot. And so, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and right. And so I enjoy, well, the first treasure chest... Um, with the realistic for you that was for euphoria right euphoria was one of the games it applies to yeah but these are the general idea is that these apply to a broad variety of games not just one specific game and you had 2000 backers i mean there's some people who who struggle to get you know 500 backers for a game you got 2000 backers just for accessories yeah i i was very fortunate to, to well, get did that, that. Did that surprise you? Um, no, I mean, because the, the original campaign had over 3,000 backers. Um, so I kind of knew that there was an interest in these, in these products. But every time I make a new chest, I think they get more and more eclectic. Like, so eventually I'm going to get to the point where they're so eclectic that there aren't enough people to justify a print run of the tokens. Got it. Got so. it. Because it's starting to, yeah. Uh, at some point, you've saturated, which was already a pretty small market. I mean, 3,000 right. is nothing to sneeze at, but that might be the, all the people on the planet who wanted that. Right, exactly, which right. is very different from the conversation we have about games and, like, game stores. Like, we talk about how you might sell uh, 2,000 copies of a game through Kickstarter, and sometimes game store owners think, okay, that's the entire market. But really, there are millions of gamers, many of whom might want to play that game. They just aren't ready yet. Or but aren't these, aware. Or, just or aren't aware of it, yeah. But with these tokens, it very much is a, a, a niche market. Um, and so it is mainly a Kickstarter-driven product. It's not something I'm putting many copies into retail at all. You are now a veteran of Kickstarter. You, just, you seem to have a system down that's working very well for you. You did this last campaign... Uh, you did, you've done two. One, so the uh, between two two cities, what, what was the gap between these two campaigns? It was pretty short, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very short gap. It was about about a month, and both were very short campaigns. Between two cities, I think was about eighteen days, and the treasure chest campaign was just sixteen days. And even that actually felt a little long. 
So that's interesting. Why are you, sh- you – it sounds like you're getting shorter and shorter with your campaigns. Why, why, why are you doing that? Because most people – I've seen some, first, especially new timers, who are putting 30, 40, 45 days out there. And yeah. they're here, you're going in the opposite direction. Yeah, there are a couple of reasons. Um, part of it is that my e-newsletter list has grown by leaps and bounds. It's almost up to 11,000 people at this point. So when I announce a new project on launch day, that is often the bulk of the people. I, I mean, on the, for example, on the, uh, the new, this latest campaign, I think we had raised about $89,000 on the first day. And then that left about $120,000 for the following 15 days. So there's just a huge – people are just ready to jump in right away, it seems. Um, are you going to get to the point where you're going to do a 24-hour Kickstarter campaign? <laughs> I probably wouldn't go that short. Um, in the early I, days, I did one of those. I did a – I, I think it was 40 hours, 30 hours, something like that. It was a uh-huh. last-minute thing. I thought I'd kickstart it. Um, you know, I raised, I think, eight hundred dollars, but that was you know four or five years ago. Right. But you don't I've think seen... you, don't, you is there a lower limit that you think you're going to hit? I think the lowest I would probably go is is two weeks. For me, it's a, a huge part of it is about just keeping the energy high during the campaign and keeping the updates interesting. And if I had to spread out, like I had what I consider probably seven interesting updates during the treasure chest campaign. And I, I, I like to do updates every maybe two to three days during a campaign. And I just wouldn't, I don't have that many interesting things to say during a 28 day campaign. What makes an interesting update? Um, you, there's usually a visually compelling element to it, like a new piece of art that my artist just sent me that I want to share with backers. I usually have something that I'm trying, some element of feedback I'm trying to get from backers, whether it's about that visual element or, um, some sort of poll question um, that I ask them, and then usually some sort of call to action. It's not. It's not a. I, I'm really asking backers to go out and do something, but I I may say like th- th- there's something relevant right now that's happening that that I think you should consider or think about or check out. Do you think about these questions before the campaign launches? That these are your you lay out the updates. Okay, on day two, this is the update. Day four, this is the update. I, I mean, have you done that in? beforehand to think that through? I do. Yeah. I have a, a spreadsheet that I use that goes through every single day what I want to do. And I, I'm spacing out things. So I'm spacing out the visuals. I'm spacing out polls. And on the in-between days when I'm not doing backer updates, I have things planned on other places. So I have, I maybe do an update on a previous project to let them know about the new campaign, or I do a personal Facebook post so it's all very calculated. I'm not trying to do – I don't try to do a, a different post on my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page every day. I usually do maybe one during the entire project, and it's at a very specific time. So, yeah, have you heard that from other, other creators where they, they schedule out exactly the, the plan for the project in advance? A little bit, but um, – a little bit. But you have reached a point where now yours is becoming a system – rather than a, a series of events. This isn't, it's almost like, Jamie, as I listen to you describe what you're doing, particularly, um, what was the distance between, between two cities and the treasure chest? How much time was between those? Oh, quite a bit. Uh, six, seven months. Has it been that long? When was yeah. it between two cities? Was that last fall? 
Between no, between two cities was, was the spring. It launched in mid mid March, and the treasure chest ended in July or August of last year. Yeah. What about this new treasure chest? Isn't that the one you just did? Am I confused? Oh yeah, between these two, the two most recent ones. Yeah. The, uh, so between two cities was March to April, and this one was mid April to the end of April. So yeah. So as, as I'm listening to you talk, it sounds like you're getting a system that says. So you have a a spreadsheet that shows this is what I'm going to do during the, this campaign. Yeah. And here's what I'm going to do during this campaign. And now it sounds like you've got two spreadsheets that go into a bigger spreadsheet that says this is what I'm doing over the next three months for each of these campaigns, which goes into a bigger system. I mean, literally, it sounds like you have that you have built this system and now you're dropping uh, projects into the system rather than what so many of my guests and so many people I talk to. It's almost like everything is a is a one off. It's like, OK, I got to get ready for this launch. What do I need to do? And then how many times do you and I see somebody post and say, hey, could you, uh, could you help me promote my campaign? You know, I've launched it, and I go look, and one person has backed it. And, you know, right. Right. So it sounds like you've got this system that you've put into place rather than it being project-based. It's just become a system that – a formula in essence, even though a formula would imply lack of personal touch – that's not what we're talking about here. It sounds like you have a formula that involves significant amount of personal touch. Yeah, and I, I think that's the key because the formula it can maybe sound a little cold and calculating, but really I try to like each project has its own personality um, as I as I create this schedule. It's based off a rough template from previous projects, and the whole the plan of it runs into other projects. But yeah, and even like during the project, there are still things that are surprising to me that happen, things that, that I get really excited about that, that I shared during the project. So in this one, uh, this last one, the treasure chest one, what was this one yeah. called? What was this one called? This is called uh, Three New Treasure Chests of Realistic Resource Tokens. Oh, man, I love your naming of your project. <laughs> they are so engaging. Three new treasure chests. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's pretty dry. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty dry. But it yeah. seems to be working. Yeah. Um, what did you learn new in this one? Because now you've done, what, half a dozen? Yeah. You're, you're approaching a couple of million dollars of funding, um, right? If I do the math quick in my head? Yeah, I've raised $1.4 million on okay. sorry. Yeah. $1.4 million. Uh, so this one, something surprised you. What surprised you in this last one, the, tre- the three treasure chests, blah, blah, blah? Yeah, so one of the big things that surprised me uh, so there are three different treasure chests, and I had a, a funding a reward level at $35, one at $67 for two chests, and then one at $89 for all three chests, or any combination of three chests. And I was just, I was, as someone who is personally pretty frugal, I was surprised by the sheer number of people who selected the most expensive level. I thought maybe p- people would pick and choose, maybe just get one, maybe get two, but I think nearly 85% of people backed Holy the, cow. The $89 level, which surprised me. Holy cow. Yeah. So, and it, it was a good surprise. I was glad they, I mean, that, to me, that shows a level of trust. It shows that maybe I did price it correctly, that there was a, an escalating discount for that bundled deal. But uh, yeah, does that surprise you at all? I mean, 85% for the highest yes, level? That, yeah. So, um, you, so yes, but, and not to be cold here in business. But you know what they say, that if nobody complains about the pricing, you priced it too low. <laughs> yeah. Right. And in your case, I know that you are very conscientious about your audience and understanding your market. And so I'm not saying that the, it was priced too low. But what it does say is that maybe there is a market of interest for a higher end 
product. Because you're, and I've heard some phraseology you just used that the discount from the lower. But so let's suppose it makes me wonder what would happen if it was only eighty nine dollars. There was no thirty five dollars to give people a frame of reference in their head that they were getting a good deal. It's very possible that your backers weren't backing at the higher level because they were getting a good deal based on the $35 of the original post, uh, pledge, but they were backing right. it because the value at $89 was what they wanted. Does that make sense? I think maybe it could be a combination of the two because I, I really strongly believe in having that frame of reference, having that anchor price for people to compare it against. Um, like if the anchor price was $35 and the bundle deal each chest amounted to $29 each. So I think there is something there where they think, okay, well, this is a better deal. But I think you're also right. I mean, this, these treasure chests are not cheap to make. They're, they are the most expensive product I make, but I don't sell them for what their MSRP should be, which usually in this board game business is five times the manufacturing cost. Right. Based on that, I should be selling these for about 60 or even $70. Each. Each. Now, one of the reasons you're giving away with – giving away, that's, that sounds bad. Um, the one, way, one reason that you're able to do this – that's a better phraseology there yeah. – is that um, these aren't available in stores, are they? They're not. So, They're not. You, so you have – there's no distribution costs. This, this is literally direct to, direct to consumer. Right, right. And that's allowing you a little bit of flexibility of – that you can lower your – the price point because your manufacturing is different. Your distribution is different. Your, your, the whole approach to this is slightly different. It's like, look, you're going to make, I'm just putting words in your mouth. Maybe I should have you explain how come you're uh, doing this direct and how come you're able to lower that price point? Well, yeah, it's everything you just touched upon. What in the board game business business, when you put something into distribution, a distributor will buy it at a 60% discount. So on a $60 MSRP product, a distributor would buy it for about $24. And so on a product like this, that profit margin between that $24 and the manufacturing cost is a little bit too slim. Um, Whereas on Kickstarter, I can, at the bundled price, they're $29 each. That closes the gap. That closes the gap. That gives you just enough to be able to... Increase the manufacturing costs, but not worry about uh, running out of operational uh, revenue. Exactly. At the same time, I think you're probably right that I could have priced it a little a little higher. I'm probably no, but you don't need to. I mean, I don't need to. Yeah, no, you don't need to. Yes, you could have, but there's a reason you didn't, and that is because I think you have an extremely close relationship with your audience and your market, and yeah, price gouging or just just because you could get more money doesn't necessarily say you should. Should Just because you could doesn't necessarily mean you should. And so I, th- I think you'd priced it perfectly, and you did learn something, and that is it's, there's a possible market for even a higher-end product out there than maybe both you and I thought. Well, and I think a, a part of it for these treasure chests is each one comes with six different tokens. And say, say you bought the food crate. You might, buy, you might have bought the food crate for three of the tokens in the food crate, sure. not all six. And so sure. I think that's another reason why I thought – not everyone is buying all six tokens. Maybe right. they're buying three or four tokens, and they just happen to have two others in the box. Hey, Jamie, hey, Jamie. We're, out, we're out of time. We're out of time? Can, can wow. you come back and we talk about uh, um, some of the things that you've been writing about? Would you mind coming back for another episode? 
I'd love to come. I'm sorry we ran out of time, Richard. Yeah. We're out of time. We're at the top of the top of the, the, the 20 minutes. Jamie, thanks again. Thanks, Richard. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games. Uh, he's got uh, some great lessons that you can go learn if you go to – what was the URL, Jamie? Kickstarterlessons.com. Kickstarterlessons.com. Hopefully you've been inspired. If you like what you're listening, go back our um, Patreon account. Uh, the funding the dream on Patreon so that we can continue to bring you such great content. Thanks for listening. Take care.